This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Father Robert Spitzer, who is the former president of Gonzaga University. He is the founder and president of the Magis Center, dedicated to public education on the relationship among physics, philosophy, and faith. He is also the president of the Spitzer Center, which delivers cultural development curricula to companies and faith-based organizations. His other books include Finding True Happiness, The Soul's Upward Yearning, and Healing the Culture. With Father Robert Spitzer, we go inside the pages of God So Loved the World, Clues to Our Transcendent Destiny from the Revelation of Jesus. We now begin our discussion with Father Spitzer, recorded in his offices at the Magis Center, located in Garden Grove, California. Father Spitzer, thank you so much for your gracious hospitality. Great to be with you again, Chris. You know, a term that we hear often, Father, from especially the young, and when I say especially the young, I'm speaking as a 50-plus-year-old woman, and anybody mm-hmm. under 35 is young to me. <laughs> but Me what, too. <laughs> yeah, well, what I hear is that they feel that they're spiritual, but they don't want to be considered religious. Yeah. Why do you suppose that is? Well, you know, I think there's two reasons. Uh, the first reason is is because, you know, the extreme individualism with which they've grown up makes them forget that they're not only interpersonal persons. They're not only social beings. They act like social beings, but mm-hmm. they pretend like they're not. And, and, of course, a church community is so important and so necessary you know, in order to maintain your faith. I mean, a church community calls you to itself, right? When you obligate yourself to a church community, you know, you, you become part of it. It, it. it calls you there. So it's, you know, if you say, well, I'm just spiritual, that means you could do nothing for, you know, week after week and month after month. And no one will ever ask, well, how are you doing? Where are you? Why don't we see you? I mean, because you're accountable to no one except just God by yourself. And, and, you, know, and, and a, you know, a young person can easily ignore the call of God within their hearts because they're just overly distracted. So, I mean, one of the thoughts, you know, is we've got to kind of move them out of this false notion that it's just as good to be spiritual as it is to become part of a community. And when you become part of a community, you have these shared values. We call them doctrines uh, in our church, and there's theological doctrines and moral doctrines. But, I mean, again, there's this responsibility to the truth. And, and the wonderful part about, you know, being, uh, you know, spiritual without, um, you know, wonderful in scare quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Wonderful yeah. about, uh, you know, becoming spiritual um, is, again, you don't have uh, responsibility to community, and you don't have responsibility to the truth. You don't have to ask, well, 
is my interpretation really true? You can just think, my interpretation is really true. And you don't have to mesh it with anything. You don't have to bother with saying, well, is this consistent with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Of Asking all these hard questions that, that you know, uh, really when you get to the bottom of the hard questions, you get to the truth and the truth will set you free. But a young person thinks that the truth won't set them free they think that the truth is going to enslave them in some way, constrain them in some way, rather than liberate their hearts. Because, of course, what will the truth do? It'll just remove the layers of inauthenticity, remove the layers of darkness. And, of course, when it does, the light can be so strong and so healing. Yeah. And, and, of course, but it takes some work. It, it takes some effort. Now, now one of the problems you know, you say, we're well, going to belong to a church, and, and the young people go, oh, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to have to study something. I'll have to be responsible to these moral doctrines. You know, community's going to be asking me to do something. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be constrained. I want to be footloose and fancy free, right, and so forth and so on. And, of course, there's all these kind of barriers that, that, that sort of, you know, well up within them. And normally what, what happens to, to many People, when they reach about the age of 35, it, it is a, a real daunting period of life can start to ensue. And th- what I mean by that is, you know, all of a sudden, they're, even in the midst of family, even in the midst of friends, right, mm-hmm. uh, you can experience, you know, some real daunting things. And, and, and the daunting things are like darkness, alienation, emptiness uh, on a cosmic level. And, uh, you know, um, what I mean by that is, you know, you're kind of floating out there wondering, why do I feel empty? Why do I look into a mirror and nothing's staring me back? Why do I have this sense of meaninglessness in my life? That starts catching up with you in your 30s. You know, you can be endlessly distracted in your 20s. But when you have kids, when you have responsibilities in the job, when you have some time, you know, when you're away you know, as it were, in your own thought world, and, and it becomes a more proficient thought world as you get older. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, these things start welling up. You start looking for deeper meaning. There was a great uh, study that was done in 2004 uh, by uh, Kanita Dervik and 10 other uh, authors for the American uh, Psychiatric Association, uh, and, it, and it compared, um, you know, people... Uh, who are non-religious and those who are religiously affiliated. Mm-hmm. Get this statistic if you don't think religion, real religion, religious affiliation with the church community and truth is important. Uh, the first thing is significant increase in suicide rates, mm-hmm. significant increase in suicide attempts. This is non-religiously affiliated people. All the other factors have been eliminated. Stresses, right, you know, difficulties in life. I mean, these are, you know, comparing apples with apples. Right. In addition mm-hmm. to that, increased meaninglessness, increased despondency, increased uh, uh, you know impulse aggressivity, increased depression, increased um, substance abuse, and increased um, uh, familial tensions. I mean, I mean, are we naturally inclined toward religion? Of course we are. Why is eighty-five percent of the world religious to this very day, according to the Pew survey? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, only in Western culture. Has religion declined significantly uh, in, in, in any way? Well, the rest of the world is still significantly religious. 
because we're naturally inclined toward religious. God's been inviting us to himself, you know, and, but he invites us to himself through a religious community, through a responsibility to the truth, through a, a community that will call us to itself, through a common worship where we share with one another as interpersonal persons. We share with one another the worship that we celebrate together. Yes, we can have an individuated prayer life, but worship is something more, something more beautiful, something more fulfilling. And so it's these three things that kids don't know they're missing. The call of the community, the responsibility to the truth, and the beauty of communal worship. With all of its symbols, with all of its tradition and everything else, they don't know they're missing it. Because, of course, they are endlessly distracted. The best technique of the devil, right? right. Just keep you distracted. Just, you know, as C.S. Lewis, you know, his beautiful work, the screw tape letters, he says, well, you know, I mean, uh, there's no need, Wormwood, to, to, to keep, get them really scared, <laughs> you know. Don't mm-hmm. do that and reveal yourself. You might actually throw them into the hands of the enemy. The enemy, of course, is God because everything's reversed in the screw tape letters. It's, it's two you know, devils writing to each other. But, I mean, the main thing, of course, is at the end he says, you know, uh, uh, you'll throw them into the hands of the enemy. Do this instead. Just get them, you know, present a little image of a devil in red t- tights with a, uh, you know, horns and a pitchfork and get them laughing at the little myth. We don't exist after all. The high command has ordained that we not really reveal ourselves. Above all, we would keep them distracted. And that's, you know, our kids are suffering from it. We've got better distractions today than we have had in the whole history of humankind. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable what these kids have to deal with just to get to the three beautiful parts of, of religion. And, of course, that's the beauty of the wor- of common worship and symbol and tradition, you know, the beauty of truth, right, which is, of course, the peeling off of inauthenticity so that we don't have to remain in the darkness and the inauthenticity and in, in the emptiness and the loneliness and the alienation, right, that, that really begins to manifest itself as the Kanita Dervik survey says, and also the call of the community. Church community is not just a call to be responsible for the community. The church community gives to us. It supports us. It's wonderful. Of course, kids all think themselves, and my gosh, when I was their age, I, you know, I just thought, oh, I'm, I am me, and I'm sufficient unto myself. You know, uh, you know I'll, I'll pick my friends, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't need anybody. You know, of course you need somebody. And what you need are level three and level four people. What you need are high-quality friends. You know, I mean, kids, you know, if you, if you don't pick good friends, you know as well as I do, mm-hmm. you go down the drain. And, and church has good friends. I mean, high-quality friends, contributive friends, religious friends, transcendent friends, loving friends. And, and, and these are the kind of friends that, that keep with you. And, and, and they support you in your family life. But, you know, I, I, you know what can we do? We, we have to just try and break through the distractions, but we also have to give them the real beauty. You know, uh, Bishop Barron tries to do this very much in his programs, but we need to get to those, that younger generation, break through with the beauty of belonging to a church, belonging uh, to religious affiliation, 
And of course, the Catholic Church, my gosh, the beauty is, you know, unbelievable. The beauty of mercy, the beauty of the truth, the beauty of community, and of course, the beauty of tradition, the beauty of, you know, the, the, the common worship, the beauty of the Mass, the beauty of our history. I mean, there's just, we just, it, it's something to behold. But it's going to be a real major effort. The, you know, as I say, the evil spirit has really got the distraction uh, game down exceedingly well. And as well intended as our kids can be, you know, they flip on that internet, they flip on their computer, they flip on that television. And I mean, oh man, they're just kind of carried away. Uh, even in that, the tools that they're using to try to commune, communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, we, we call it social media, whether mm -hmm. it's Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, mm -hmm. the periscoping. I mean, there's so many new and varied ones, and I don't doubt there'll be more even in the next few years. Mm -hmm. But what they're seeking in, in those relationships, even outside of their own immediate presence, is mm -hmm. relationship. Relationship because... Something is so broken. The, the one place that they were called to learn mm -hmm. how to relate to one another, the family, has mm -hmm. been for many of them so broken, hasn't it, mm -hmm. Father? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I think the breakdown of the family leads to the breakdown of religion, and the breakdown of religion leads to the breakdown of family. It's this terrible cycle, you know, that many sociologists, not just religious people, have pointed to. You know, there is an intrinsic relation between family and religion, and uh, religion's a bonding force of family, and family's a bonding force for religious involvement. And, um, you know, um, when you're kind of an autonomous teenager, or you kind of come from a family that, uh, where there's a great deal of brokenness, um, you know, that can be um, uh, a rather daunting thing. You know, it's um, uh, unfortunately um, uh, hard to kind of get back on track. So what do you do? You almost commit yourself to these addictive behaviors of what I call, you know, social media relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not really a relationship. You don't have a lot of empathy. All you have is company and affability. But empathy goes deeper. And, and that requires, you know, being able to be in the presence of someone. You know, I mean, you don't have to be touching them, but you know, just, you know, being sensing their presence. And, of course, it's, you can do it in silence, you know, if you're around somebody. But mm -hmm. that degree of companionship, what I call empathetic companionship, is being lost. And, and some of the problem there is that people don't feel like it's worth the time. You know, um, they're, they're not going to invest it. Uh, you know, I, I can, you know, do my little and, you know, on my, uh, on my smartphone and then... Um, that completes my relationship with Joe for today. You know, I've, I've remained in contact. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is replacing companionship with contact. Instead of having now, you know, five or six really deep relationships and maybe, you know, 20, 25, uh, you know, contact kind of relationships, now we have maybe one deep relationship at most and about 100 contact relationships which, of course, are just unmanageable. So we have be given up depth for breadth. And that is not a good thing because we need deep relationships as well as 
you know, broad, shallower relationships. Um, but uh, we're, we're being kind of reoriented uh, in that direction. But, you, you know, getting back to your point about family, absolutely the, the breakdown of the family is uh, really problematic. And, and you know, where do we learn about deep relationships? Where do we learn just it's okay just to be with people, laugh with people, eat with people. We, you know, you know uh, now we have to do something significant. It's not enough to be with. We have to do as well as be with in order to get a significant thing out of our relationship. The relationship is not an end. Uh, we have to get something out of the relationship, some end beyond the relationship. And it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, we're lo- losing our whole sense of love and intimacy uh, along with it. And now, you know, what we have is a kind of a strange careerism. But even worse, we have a, you know, a strange appearance is more important than reality culture. You know, people are making these Facebook profiles, you know, and, and you're looking at them. And these are your friends and you're going, do I know this person? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, it, the facades are so elaborate. You know, I mean, you don't know the person. It's all designed, you know, to, to look great, irrespective of, of, you know, the real person underneath who has challenges, who has struggles, who has desires for improvement. Who, you know, that person doesn't exist anymore. It's just the winner, you know, and I'm winning more than you're winning it's what I call level two gone mad, you know, uh, in the culture. And so we've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've got a lot of problems. And, and our problem is superficiality. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that I go to, you know, countries other than the United States and Europe, and I see much deeper relationships, less superficiality uh, among people uh, than, than here, you know, where, uh, you know, people are worried more about their appearance than a real relationship with somebody grounded in reality. So we've, we've got challenges. I, I'm not negative, but I feel like saying we got to call it where it is so we can help our kids to move out of that superficiality. They, they think they know that there, there is superficiality there. I, I think they do yearn for a significant marriage. I do think they want their children to love them deeply. I do think when they get into what I call the 30 to 35-year-old age bracket and they're really just getting their clock cleaned with emptiness, alienation, darkness, feelings of being you know, profoundly alone in, in the universe, etc. When these things start hitting them, absolutely they're looking for answers. But these are good kids. But they are distracted and they are being pushed into superficiality and pushed into level two competitions, which now value appearance more in reality. These are distractions we did not have to really deal with on any grand level, but, but our kids today do. So we're going to have to find some methods. I'm not, I'm not the, the, the genius in finding all the methods. I, I have found some things that I know automatically get kids' attention. When I talk about proofs of God from physics, that gets kids' attention. When I talk about near-death experiences and the evidence from them, for them from very genuinely good medical studies, that gets their attention. When I talk about the scientific evidence for the Shroud of Turin and evidence of the resurrection manifest, that gets their attention. And a few other things, you know, start getting their attention. But I mean, at the end of the day, 
It's more than getting the attention. You have to get them to say, you know, I really do want to get to the truth. I really do want to be in a significant relationship with God where he will lead me and love me and I will sense his presence and I can pray to him. I really do want to be in a a community that, you know, supports me, that I support them, you know, that they call me you know, in, in, in t- into deeper relationship with them. And I really do want to belong, you know, to this worship, this mass, this beauty, you know, that, that, that Jesus has given us through his own body and blood that's sur- just filled and surrounded by saints and filled and surrounded by history. I really do want this stuff. It's, there's beauty everywhere. Uh, you know, how do we get them to that next stage from, you know, that, that shroud is really interesting. I mean, Wow, one forty billionth of a second, uh, you know, uh, several billion watts of, uh, you know, vacuum ultraviolet radiation to produce that image. That's really interesting. How do you get them from there to beauty upon beauty uh, in, in the church? We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the malignant enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me, and bid me come to thee, that with thy saints I may praise thee, forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. We now return to Inside the Pages. Oh, and Father Spitzer, that key relationship you talk about, and especially in the family, if they can't experience that, that presence, mm-hmm. at least in, in a human contact, how can they ever get to the point of believing, and this is the struggle for them, uh, in a God, maybe a, a source way out there in the universe that is that mm-hmm. deatific type of thing where he's just got a clockmaker and everything's mm-hmm. moving, to a a person, literally, mm-hmm. who loves you so much, they can't see them. They can't. He. They. They can't tangibly. You know. Uh, I. I want proof that God is there. Let alone mm-hmm. that He loved the world so much that He would send a son. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's two things. I, I do think the family relationship. And the degree to which the family can create uh, genuine empathy um, is is important. I, I, there's no doubt about that. And um, 
the more a person has experienced empathy and, and uh, you know, compassionate love within their family, uh, the more they will be able to enter into a, a relationship uh, with God. Now, that having been said, um, there are a lot of families that, that simply don't have this. And yet God also comes to them, and he actually comes to them through their suffering or sometimes even through the darkness that they perceive. And I mean, there, there are these days, what I call them, uh, I call crisis days, you know, and where a person is just in such darkness, they're in such emptiness, they're in such alienation from themselves and from, from you know, the totality of reality. They're, they're in such a sense of profound loneliness, not just lonely for human relationships, but, you know, wanting to be at home, you know, in the totality of everything that is, right? They're going through these incredible existential feelings, and everybody does. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be some you know philosopher or whatever. You know, everybody goes through these things, and and you know they're passing by a church, and maybe they grew up as a Catholic, and maybe they just go into that church, and all of a sudden they find peace. I'm not kidding you. These things happen all the time. I can list mm-hmm. off a hundred people in my own life, or you know, uh, one person just happened to be passing by a picture of the sacred heart and had peace for the first time in two years in his life. You know, another person just happens to be looking at a crucifix and for the first time, you know, feels that there's light in the world. You know, when, when he felt that he was surrounded by emptiness and darkness and coldness. I mean, these are the things that happen. And these, you know, sometimes you say, well, that's just a symbol. No, it isn't. It's God using the symbol to break through in grace to the interior consciousness of the person so that that person who, you know, who's kind of walled himself off and remained in the darkness, right, that that person actually now, um, you know, feels this thing and, and says, okay, what, what do you, are you here with me? Are you, is there really light out there? You know, are, are you, uh, okay, maybe, maybe you are here. You know, but maybe I'm talking myself into it. You know, and the one thing is when that crisis moment ha- happens, even for the person who grew up with no empathy whatsoever, that's the time when if we have any contact with these people is to say, please come to church with me. You know, please, you know, start, you know, let's go to Mass together. Let's find a place that, that y- you w- want to go to. Because what you have to do at that juncture is follow up, follow up, follow up, you know, to just kind of help them to get there. Eventually, they're going to have to take the throttle for themselves, right? They're going to mm-hmm. have to take the steering wheel themselves. But, you know, it's that helping them over, you know, the edge to explain, you know, what mass means to you. Father, they get to that point to respond to that that calling, that sacred, they begin to experience, they've asked the questions, mm-hmm. they, the Shroud of Turin, the, they're, mm-hmm. they're in awe. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And they feel it's a spiritual response. When's the next step to understand God's nature and that, that next step, why it's important to be a Christian, to encounter Jesus? Yeah, there are, unfortunately, all the evidence in the world, right, the scientific evidence and the philosophical evidence basically can only get you 
to a unique intelligent creator, or um, in philosophy, a unique, intelligent, conscious, um, unrestricted act of thinking, uh, which is the creator of all else that is. Now, you can get to that philosophically or scientifically, but once you're there, it's not going to answer the other questions, right? Like, does God really care about you? Is there really a heaven? How do you get there? Is there really a hell? How do you avoid it? Is there uh, really, um, you know, a, a set of moral principles that moves in one direction rather than another direction? Does God redeem our suffering? How does he redeem our suffering? Why does he allow us to suffer? Is there real grace? Does God inspire us? Does he guide us? Does he protect us? Right? All these questions, which are what I call questions of the heart, they can't be answered by even the best science and the best philosophy. You can get to an intelligent creator, but does he have a heart? You know, Einstein thought God was an intelligent creator, but he didn't think he had a heart, right? I mean, Aristotle didn't think God had a heart, right? You know, he just thought, oh, he's just a huge unrestricted act of thinking, you know, and what? why would he care about us? We're idiots, you know? So he just thought God just gave us some life to entertain him, and, you know, that's enough of that. You know, he, he, he couldn't be bothered with more boredom from us. Whereas, of course, we don't have the, def Aristotle didn't have a definitive answer to that question. Only way you're going to get to that answer is by revelation. God is going to have to come and reveal himself to us. You know, when we do science or philosophy, we can use the techniques of reasonable and responsible rational inquiry to get to the facts. But then, once you've got the facts about God, then you're going to have to find revelation. Now, God hasn't left us bereft of evidence for where the revelation came from. But the one thing is, is you know, we all have to believe that God's going to reveal himself to us. Otherwise, it'd be an utterly cruel act, right, to give you the rational evidence to believe in him and his intelligence, and then you ask all these questions about suffering, about prayer, about heaven, about hell, so forth and so on. You ask all these questions, ah, but I'm not going to tell you, right? No God who at least has given us the desire for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home, emphasis on the love, perfect love, no God who gave us the desire and the awareness of perfect love, perfect goodness, and perfect home, and perfect beauty, and perfect truth is going to leave us bereft of a revelation to answer those questions. So it's got to be out there. Now, there's truth uh, in, in, in all world religions, right? There's a wonderful uh, article written by Friedrich Heiler that says there are seven common elements of uh, all the world's greatest religions. And, and he delineates all those seven elements. And of course, some uh, you know religions emphasize one more than another and so forth. But be that as it may, beyond those seven things, is there a fulfillment of revelation that goes beyond this, that shows the radical nature of who God is? And the answer is yes. And it's the Christian religion. Because the Christian religion alone has Jesus proclaiming to be the Son of God who's come to be with us out of unconditional love and to reveal to the world who the Father is. 
namely unconditional love, like the father in the prodigal son parable. It is Jesus alone who defines agape in in this incredibly beautiful way, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's to say the humble-hearted, right? Blessed are the meek, the gentle-hearted. Blessed are those who are hungering for righteousness, right? The, the salvation of our souls, the salvation of other souls. Blessed are those who are merciful, right? The forgiving and the compassionate, right? The, the, the parable of, of the Good Samaritan. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, and, 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 and even blessed are those who are pure, authentic of heart. He's telling us what love is in a profound way that's never, ever been you know, done before, Right, and of course, when we look at this, uh, you know, revelation of not only the heart of God as unconditional love, the heart of Jesus in His definitive act of self-sacrifice on the cross as unconditional love, and the definition of love. All of a sudden, I got to tell you, my own life, my my heart just quaked. You know, I just thought, this is the truth. You know, unconditional love is the truth. You know, so that perfect love is perfect truth, and perfect truth is perfect love, and perfect truth and love is perfect goodness and beauty, and so forth. So for all intents and purposes, you know, it was that kind of moment in my heart where I really began to believe if this is the message of Jesus, which it is, which is why I wrote this book, uh, God So Loved the World, Clues to Our Transcendent Destiny from the Revelation of Jesus, uh, then count me in. Because there isn't any other religion that does anything like this. I mean, it builds upon a common foundation, as Friedrich Keiler has, has articulated it. But at the same time, Christianity is unique in the idea of perfect, unconditional, and unrestricted love. And, and the call to it and the definition of it. So it's in that spirit, uh, you know, I, I myself began to, to start of taking my faith in the church really seriously. And when that happened, I started reading the New Testament. And it occurred to me at this juncture, you know, hey, wait a minute. These gospel writers, they're not trying to sell me anything. They're not trying to get me to be a Christian. They're trying to save my soul. And the way I know they're not trying to sell me something and, to, and instead to save my soul is because they're giving me really hard things. I'm going to have to take up my cross and follow. Uh, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, uh, be uh, um, you know, uh, a, a person who is, 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 is you know, devoted you know, to, to looking for a life of authenticity. I'm going to have to be a, a person who is... Uh, uh, literally uh, going to spend himself in, in trying, uh, you know, to, to be meek. To, I didn't want to be meek, you know. I don't want to be gentle of heart, you know. But this is what I was being called to. And I, I began to think, hey, if someone is interested enough not to sell me something, tell me to take up my cross and follow him, to give me the straight, you know, scoop on, on what love really is and to call me to this and not sanitize it to make it really easy for little Bobby to embrace. Uh, if this is what these gospel writers are doing, and they're reflecting the true heart of Jesus, count me in. I, I like this gospel. 
I, I like the gospel because of the message of love, but I also like the gospel because it's the hard message of love. And love is not easy. It's not just a romantic feeling. It's, it's got a lot of uh, difficulty in it. But at the same time, what's at the end of the journey that's not easy? Why authenticity and the truth? I mean, why real love that's, that's not, you know, obscured by our narcissism and, and by our self-worship and, and, and so forth. I mean, we're going to get to authenticity and love, authenticity and truth, and authenticity and goodness. And that's going to not only purify the love, it's going to purify the joy. And if that's the case, I'm thinking to myself, hey, okay, is it worth the price of admission to go with these Christian guys who are not going to sell me something easy, but give me the truth about where I have to go to get to pure eternal joy in the unconditionally loving heart of God. If that's what it is, then count me in. There's only one other question once you embrace that. If you like the gospel writers, well, what church community are you going to belong to? Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to take a community, right? You're going to have to find a place where you know, as I said before, there's a hundred interpretations for so many of the passages of the New Testament. Love them all. But I didn't consider myself to be the guru capable of making the final discernment. I mean, honestly, I'm a reader. I'm a thinker. But I just looked at myself as completely inadequate. And it's the final stage of my own conversion to back to the Catholic Church. Not conversion, back, but... You know, I was kind of going to Mass, but I, half-heartedly, but going into the church with kind of a full-bore, you know, desire to, to belong to it. I mean, what, what happened to me is I began to see, hey, I, I not only need a church to interpret the truth for me, but wait a minute. If Jesus had made this revelation and he had anticipated that this was going to be the case, that even with scriptures, even with the oral tradition, even with all these other things, we were all going to be in a fog of potential interpretations. Wouldn't he have initiated a church himself and an authority source to make it work? We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. 
We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to Inside the Pages. Your witness is such a compelling one, Father Spitzer, and as those who have traveled the same journey that you are on, or something close to that, they're all moving up that mountain, Mm -hmm. there is such an important part of how God designed us that we can't take for granted, and that's our free will. And he has given us the opportunity to choose not to make that journey mm-hmm. and to move there. And the for those of us who have experienced that transformative mm-hmm. encounter with Christ, mm-hmm. how important is it to also help people understand the consequences of not choosing that? And, and I'll be more specific. Mm-hmm. When do we start talking about hell? Well, um, you know, um, the Catholic Catechism defines hell as a definitive self-exclusion from God and the blessed. Um, it's, and they call it a state, a state of definitive self-exclusion from God and the blessed. Now, if you, that's a, a big, you know, chunk. And in my book, God So Loved the World, uh, I explain that s- statement. I pull it apart piece by piece. The, the one thing I, I want to emphasize right here is that God gave us free will because he wanted our love to be our own. He didn't want it to be the result of a computer program that he had, as it were, installed in us to do loving behaviors. And here's the problem. If you have, are you, if your love is going to be your own, you have to be able to choose an unloving behavior, an unloving intention, an unloving attitude. Now, if you don't choose, if you don't have the capacity to choose unloving things, hateful things, selfish things, self-idolatrous things, right? Mm-hmm. Forget it. Your love will never be your own. All you'll have is a program inside you to do loving behaviors. And don't worry, you'll never do anything unloving in your whole life because you can't. But then again, you just be a divine robot. And that wasn't good enough for God. He wanted to create creatures in his own image and likeness with the same freedom of will, with the same capacity for authentic love that we would choose and embrace over against the possibility of egocentricity, narcissism, self-worship, and all domination and all the other kinds of distractions that we have to authentic love, right? Authentic love is gift of self. Authentic love is wanting to make a difference to somebody or something beyond myself, not just to leave a legacy of goodness in the world, but because people need it. And the legacy of love is always a legacy towards salvation in the unconditional love of God. So being, you know, that that's the case, then what we're dealing with, God has to give us his freedom. So at all times then, 
we are always confronted with something that's going to be profoundly selfish or profoundly, you know, uh, giving uh, to others. That's going to worship ourselves or going to worship the true God. That's going to dominate others or be respectful and loving of others. And it's always, right, there's the either or is always part of our lives. Always. Now, Jesus doesn't go around. Of course, he, he talks about hell as wailing and grinding of teeth, as being left outside. And, and you look at that and you go, wow, is Jesus threatening us with hell? Is he using the old fear tactic, you know, of um, you better, you know, live up to your religious obligations or you're going down, right? No, that's not what Jesus is doing at all. What he is doing is he's saying, you have the awesome power of free will. Believe it or not, you could actually choose an entire state of eternity that's premised on egocentricity, narcissism, uh, self-worship, and domination of others. You could actually choose, because you have the capacity to do this, definitively and eternally to be part of darkness so that you could get your narcissistic ego jolt. You could actually choose a state of darkness so that you could actually dominate others and be cruel to others as a kind of you know, sick joy. But you can. You, you absolutely could choose that. Now, if you start going into the darkness deep enough, that's what Jesus is saying, right? Mm-hmm. You start going in the darkness deep enough, you start going into the domination, the self-worship, the egocentricity, the self-aggrandizement. You get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. It's an addiction. It becomes harder to break it. Oh, yes, the foreboding and the darkness begins to surround us. There's a profound loneliness that accompanies the domination of others. There's a profound darkness and emptiness when we look into the mirror, shaving or whatever we're doing, we're looking at ourselves and nothing is coming back. You know, but we're getting the ego boost every day. We're putting down you know, everybody who's not you know, nearly at our level, right? And of course, at the end of the day, absolutely no concern, no heart for anybody else, right? But instead, uh, you know, a desire to just, you know, pound down everybody in relation to ourselves so that we rise up in complete self-idolatry. Now you say, I would never do such a thing. It's never like a, one day the devil comes and says, hey, uh, here, here's your choice. It's, it's uh, you know, like the, the, we have the so-called Faustian legends, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, Faust is, you know, kind of sells his soul to the devil up front, right? And, and, you know, he says, you know, for all this worldly mastery and all this stuff, you know, you give me dominance, you give me self-aggrandizing, you give me, you know, superiority over everybody, you know, and okay, I'll sell my soul to, to you, right? That's the Faustian. That's not the way the devil really works, though. The devil really works by kind of getting you into the mode. What he wants you to do is really start liking self-aggrandizement more and more. 
just becomes really, you're into it. Oh, you may feel foreboding. You may feel loneliness. You may feel darkness. You may even feel the darkness of real evil kind of prodding around, you know, uh, around you as if your companions in the darkness are waiting for you to join them, right? You might even feel that, oh, but you can put it off. You can kind of you know, go out, you know, take a jet to another place, go skiing, I don't know, find another divertimento, right? You know, you could find something, you know, to, to help you deal, you know, with, I mean, you could, do, you know, Arturo Fuente cigars, another couple of glasses of scotch. Don't worry, it's going to be okay, you know, but just keep going. Isn't this a great life? You are superior. Reinforcement, reinforcement, right? This is the devil. The Holy Spirit is giving you the foreboding, the foreboding, right? You're, you're joining companions of darkness. Don't do it. Don't do it, right? But, of course, you're free. You're free. And, of course, you know, at, at the end of the day, right, the devil's always telling you, I'm a friend of humanity. I'm your friend. You remember that C.S. Lewis uh, uh, book, The Great Divorce, or the angel comes down and, and this guy who's come, you know, taking a bus ride up from primers of heaven. And, and this angel comes down to meet him and, and the lizard is perched on his shoulders. And, and the lizard says, I'm your friend. Don't let him touch me. That's a very bad man over there. Everything he does is just filled with pain. No, 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 no. I've been your friend low these many years. Don't do that. No, I'm, I'm your friend. Just keep me with you. You know, and of course, the angel just simply says, let me have him. And the guy goes, I just don't know you. And the lizards go, no, 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 no. Right? And finally, of course, the guy goes, okay, you can take him. And with a scream of pain, because, right, the lizard got the talons dug into the guy's shoulder. And whoosh, he pulls the lizard off, throws him on the ground. The lizard turns into a stallion, and the guy rides up to heaven. Now, the point, of course, is evil can become entrenched, but why would we want to wait that long? So the reason Jesus gives us these warnings about the wailing and the grinding of teeth and being left outside is because he's worried about it. He's not using the old fear tactic, convert or else. He has an unconditionally loving heart. He's worried about us. He's worried about the misuse of our free will. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose it. And when we do, God is incredibly and unconditionally saddened by that choice. There is nothing in God that could ever take glee in someone choosing hell. It's just the utter bitter you know, parent who loves their child watch them walk into the darkness. How, no possible way. So at the end of the day, Jesus is saying these things because he's trying to tell us, you have an awesome power of freedom. Don't. Let it get away from you. Those seven deadly sins, watch them, right? I mean, the seven deadly sins are merely a condensation of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what they are. So he's just saying, watch out for drunkenness, drugs, and, and, and a life of gluttony. Watch out for it. Watch out for lust. You can get pulled in there and pulled so deeply that you're into every kind of darkness. And, of course, the, 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 the lust of that darkness is so narcissistic. You know, and it's so deeply, you know, uh, e egocentric that, that you don't even know you're in the narcissism. I mean, you're just literally in the, in, in the darkness. So Jesus said, watch out, watch out for it. It's, it's terribly seductive. Watch out for envy. 
I mean, so easy to get into envy and to want to overcome it, right? Watch out for pride, it's, right? It's, it's, it's the most insidious of all. Watch out for anger. Anger is so horrible because, of course, anger leads every kind of spite and, and hate and, and, and so forth. You've you got to watch it all the time. These, these seven deadly sins are, you know, and, of course, sloth too, right? You know, doing nothing. Spiritual, uh, you know, acedia, kind of a, a you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything on my spiritual life because I, I'm just too busy with everything else, and I'm too, uh, you know, uh, busy, you know, distracting myself and entertaining myself to death, right? So, uh, uh, literally to death. So, I mean, the, the the point, of course, is yeah, greed and envy and and pride and anger and 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 sloth and 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 lust and and and, and gluttony, drunkenness, drugs, you know, all in one package. There, you know, they're all killers. And Jesus is just saying, I'm begging you, don't go so deep into the darkness that you're almost incapable of getting out. Of course, you can, you can get out at the last minute. All the workers who came at the ninth hour can still come in and get a full day's wage. Absolutely. One of Jesus' parables. But at the end of the day, you know, Jesus is, is asking us, Now's the time to get on the road. Now's the time to stay in the road. Now's the time to develop a prayer life. Even two decades of the rosary a day. Start there. You know, just the main thing is do something every day. You don't have to, right? If, if you can get to daily mass, maybe once a week, start there. And, and, and do your two decades, uh, you know, during the day. And then if, if you start thinking about it, might get a Magnificat or something. Don't have to read all the songs. Read what you, you maybe read one psalm a day, so you're doing something every day. Or maybe you're gonna you can't get to the daily mass, but you know with the Magnificat there you get these readings of the day. Just do the gospel reading, or or you know do the St. Paul's reading, whatever it may be. Do do something you can do. Don't do, you don't have to become St. Teresa of Avila overnight. The main thing you want to do is do something you can do. Start with the 10-minute daily, I'm going to consecrate 10 minutes to God. Start there, and then keep faithful to that, you know, and find a time when you can keep faithful to that. And at the end of the day, it's going to start transforming you. You're going to start being on the road. And when you start that prayer life, I'm not kidding you, those seven deadly sins you're going to start questioning yourself about them because you're going to know that God's presence is real. I start my prayers every time, even if it's just a 10-minute prayer. I start off, Lord, I know you're here and I know you love me. Memorize it. Lord, I know you're here and I know you love me. Then do your prayers, whether it's the rosary, whether it's Magnificat, whatever it may be that you're going to do for your daily consecration time to the Lord. You watch, eventually, you're going to yearn to have a sort of daily prayer. This concludes our discussion with Father Robert Spitzer going inside the pages of God So Loved the World, Clues to Our Transcendent Destiny from the Revelation of Jesus. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To learn more about the work of the Magis Center, go to magiscenter.com. 
To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside.